You're listening to the Redeemer London podcast. For more information, visit our website at redeemerlondon.org. Now, as a church, we've just finished a series five weeks on looking at heroes from the Bible. And uh, I don't know about you, but I think many of us get captivated by heroes, don't we? Uh, I've recently been and seen the film Ant-Man. Anyone seen Ant-Man? I'm not going to spoil it for you because it's all in the title. Basically, a guy becomes a very powerful character. He puts on this suit, and he becomes this Ant-Man. <laughs> and you think, how on earth can he do it? it, it I mean, it does, I'm not selling it as well as it is. It's a great, great film. He's a pretty ordinary kind of guy until he puts on the suit. In fact, if anything, he's a delinquent. He, he, he's, he's been in trouble, but he puts on this suit, and he changes And I think we've often been captivated with that storyline. So I think back to when I was a kid, and some of you might remember this. There was a guy called Popeye. Uh, You ever remember Popeye? I mean, Popeye the Sailor Man. And and basically, if you've never heard this and you think, golly, what is this guy going on about? I will get to the Bible in a moment. He, He used to have an enemy that was always trying to steal his wife. I've got his name down here, Bluto. And so basically, if, if his wife got stolen by this big enemy, he used to grab a tin of spinach and eat it, and suddenly I'm Popeye the Sailor Man, and all his muscles started bulging, and he could do anything. And I remember as a kid thinking, oh, I'd love to be like Popeye. Some of you think, no, no, I don't understand that one at all. Or I used to read books. The books I used to read as a kid, and this, it's the same storyline, was Asterix. Anybody here read the Asterix cartoons? I mean, it was great, wasn't it? Because basically, it was a a French colony that were resisting the Romans. And they drank what the Druid made, and that gave them this incredible power. They could then take on any of these Roman soldiers. I mean, Asterix is this small character, but basically, he he could drink this potion and suddenly defeat like a hundred soldiers. And you always used to think, oh, wow, wouldn't it be great to be like that? What's all this got to do with our new series? We're going to look at a new five-week series through the month of August called Empowered for Life. And I think actually there's something almost in the Bible of ordinary people receiving extraordinary power to do incredible things. So we just looked at this five-week series of heroes, and and I almost want to peel behind and think, what was it? Was it that they had a suit that shrunk them to the size of an ant with incredible power? Was it they had this kind of spinach that suddenly, for the moment, gave them supernatural power? Was it that they drank this potion? Well, I want us to spend five weeks discovering how God wants to take ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And I believe that this whole series will really fire us up for that. We're going to be looking at the Holy Spirit. The Holy Who. Some of you might cry out. In the Bible, uh, it's not a word that's ever used, but is a concept that is taught is something called the Trinity. God is three in one. Now, for some of you, you might say, I've never heard that kind of thing. Well, this is how the Bible explains God. And if I asked you, who are the three, you might give me different answers. Some people here might say, well, actually, it's Father, 
We all know about Father in heaven. It's Son. We know about Jesus on the cross. And it's Mary. Some people might think, is that the Trinity? Is that the Godhead that we worship? Some might say, no, actually, it's Father. It's Son. But it's church. And actually, what is really important is the church. Others might say, no, 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 it's Father, it's Son. Everyone seems to agree on the first two. But maybe it's the book, the Bible. And if we really had the Bible, we'd understand more of God. Some might even say, no, it's Father, it's Son, and it's holy revolution. We're just here to cause a load of trouble. Bill Johnson who's a pastor in California and author, said, sometimes we value a book the early church did not have over a person they did have. Sometimes we value a book which the early church did not have over a person that they did have. You see, actually, God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, even when I say that word, some of you might think, Spirit? What's that all about? Is that whiskey? You know, you suddenly, you say spirits and you think, oh, we're just thinking shots now, are we? It used to be, he used to be described as the Holy Ghost. And some people thought, golly, that just feels a bit spooky. I want to take some time to have a look. J.I. Packer, who's a British-born Canadian theologian, says, for most people nowadays, spirit is a vague and colorless word. When I say to you, we're going to look at the Holy Spirit, do you think of something vague and colorless? Or what are you conjuring up in your mind? Sometimes through our fear of the Holy Spirit, we've backed right away. It's almost like we really want to be in control and it's supernatural. Sometimes the lack of control means we don't want anything to do with the Holy Spirit. What would he make me do? Well, sometimes it's false humility. And we think, I'm never going to be this incredible hero. Oh, it's not for me. And so we don't come. I wish, and I really do value the word of God, I wish I could go through the Bible and explain something of the Holy Spirit. I'm really introducing this whole series that we're going to look at for the next five weeks. The Holy Spirit is literally on every page. If you went to the first page of the book, Genesis 1, It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Literally, you start the book, and the book is talking all about this Spirit. God is there. God is Spirit. And then if I was to flick right to the last book of the Bible, there's 66 books if you've never read it. Last book, so the first one's called Genesis. The last one is called Revelation. Revelation 22, this is the last chapter in the last book. The Spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. So right throughout this book and everywhere in between, every page. Billy Graham, some of you have heard of Billy Graham, wrote a book on the Holy Spirit. He tells the story at the start of that of an American Indian who'd been raised in the mountains. 
Yeah, his whole tribe was in the mountains. And one day he gets taken down to see the ocean. He's never seen the ocean before. So suddenly this guy just wades into this water and starts splashing around him. He can't get over it. There's waves. I mean, he's just looking as far as he can see. There's all this water. And he comes back onto the beach. And what he gets is a jam jar. And he wades back out into the sea and he fills the jam jar up. And the friend says, what are you doing? He says, well, I want the people in my mountain to see the ocean in a jam jar. I feel it's like that this morning. I feel that the Bible is like an ocean that talks about the Holy Spirit. And, and we are meant to be those that wade out and enjoy and get to know him. And all I can do is hold up a jam jar today. And just say, look, this just a little bit that I'd like you to understand about him. There are loads of illustrations that the Bible uses to try and help us grasp something of the Holy Spirit. One of them is that he's described like fire. In the Old Testament, fire was a, as, a, as a visible manifestation of the presence of God. If you remember when Moses comes to this burning bush. It's almost like God's manifestation. It's almost like you can understand something. It's, a, it's an image that is used of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus, when talked about by John the Baptist, in Luke 3, verse 16, John says, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come, whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So if you try and understand something of the, the Holy Spirit in the Bible, you d describe fire. In fact, if you know the, the story of what's called Pentecost at the beginning of Acts, Jesus said to his disciples, don't flee, stay here, because I will pour out my Holy Spirit on you. And when the Holy Spirit came, it's like tongues of fire. So that's an image, something of purity, something of passion. Another image that we often find in Scripture of the Holy Spirit is wind. Jesus himself describes his, this, this to his disciples in John 3, verse 8. He said, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Holy Spirit. In fact, if you remember Pentecost, which describes the Holy Spirit coming, it says suddenly there's this sound like the, the blowing of a violent wind. I don't know, you know, you suddenly sort of feel tossed and blown all over the place. That was almost this description this image of the Holy Spirit. I think the Holy Spirit is also described in the Bible like oil. Oil was the anointing of God. So when David became king, the prophet came and he literally you know, poured oil over his head and said, God's anointed you to be king. There was this sense of anointing. You can read about that in 1 Samuel 16 and verse 13. I believe that also in James it tells us that oil is used for healing. And this is something of what the Holy Spirit comes to us, anoints us and heals us. Yeah, how many symbols could I try and get out? I think the Holy Spirit is described as water. Jesus told the woman of Samaria in John 4 verse 10. You can jot these down, you can look them up, you can listen to it afterwards and check it out. Jesus answered this woman, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. 
Wow. I mean, that is just incredible, isn't it? This is a description of the Holy Spirit for us. Living water. In case you hadn't noticed, I've picked up a tan in the last week. I didn't spray it on. I haven't brought a bed for the lounge. You know what I'm saying? I'm not showing you the white bits. I'm just trying to say I've colored up. When you're in a hot country like that, you want water all the time. You know what I'm saying? In England, we just drink tea. We like to boil it. You know, let's have it warm. But actually, when you say something like that, you think, God, I just, I'm desperate for some water. Are we desperate like that for God? Are we desperate like that for his spirit? Do we think, golly, I, I, I'm going to struggle? The first day I was there, I've been to Croatia, I go to bed with a splitting headache. I've got heat stroke. I've just not drunk it enough. You know what I'm saying? It's like, oh, God, I need water. I think some of us are spiritually suffering heat stroke because we've just not drunk enough water. This is all part of this picture for us. There's another picture. I wish I could describe more. I'm an Indian. I've only got a jam jar that I could describe to you this morning, the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is described as a dove. We know, don't we, that when Jesus is baptized, the Father calls out. It's one of the pictures of the Trinity in the New Testament. The Father calls out, hey, this is my son. I'm well pleased in him. And the Spirit descends like a dove, remains upon him. Do you know the challenge with all these five? It just seems a bit neutral. I even use the word it. You know what I'm saying? You can, you can think, oh, it's fire, or it's wind, or it's oil, or it's a dove, or it's water. It, it can just feel a bit neutral and distant. R.A. Torrey, he was an American evangelist in the 19th century, says this. If we think of the Holy Spirit, as many do, Merely a power or influence, our constant thought will be, how can I get more of the Holy Spirit? But if we think of him in a biblical way, as a divine person, our thought will be, how can the Holy Spirit have more of me? That's a huge challenge, isn't it? I'm going to read it again. If we think of the Holy Spirit, as so many do, merely a power or influence, wind, you know, dove, oil, our constant thought will be, how can I get more of the Holy Spirit? But if we think of him in a biblical way as a divine person, our thought will be, how can the Holy Spirit have more of me? I want us to be challenged in this whole series. I want us to be challenged that God has called you to be a hero. And I'm not just saying, come on, be positive, think great thoughts. I'm saying, be filled with the Holy Spirit, because it will change your life. This is what we want to look at. So if I went to the life of Jesus, and so often in church, we love doing that. Jesus is our hero. It's why we break bread each week. Right throughout the life of Jesus, just as throughout the book, the Holy Spirit plays a vital role. And if for Jesus, why not for us? When Jesus is presented at his birth and through his death, he is named Jesus, our Savior, by the Spirit. He brings revelation. This is who Jesus is. He is our Savior. 
When Jesus is presented by the Spirit at baptism and in ministry, he's presented as Christ, the anointed one, by the Spirit. When he's presented at the resurrection and his ascension, he's described as Lord, our sovereign. The whole life of Jesus, just like the whole book, is filled with the Spirit. From birth to death to resurrection to ministry. Jesus spends loads of time. I wish I could read it to you. If you've got time this afternoon, I'd encourage you, why not sit down in the Gospel of John? There's four Gospel accounts. There's people's accounts of the life of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. In John 14, 15, and 16, Jesus is instructing his disciples all about the Holy Spirit. Sam Storms, who's an American theologian, pastor, and author, says this, it was not primarily by virtue of his divine nature that Jesus lived the kind of life that he did, but rather through his constant and ever-increasing reliance on the Holy Spirit. Again, this would be a whole theology that you could try and unpack. You know, we can think, oh, Jesus did everything because obviously he was the Son of God come down. And Sam Storms is almost saying he laid aside his divinity, but actually he received the Spirit, and therefore he was able to do this. And so what does Jesus say to his disciples? What I've received is for you. What I've received is for you. In John 14, 16, I'm going to pick out just three verses from that passage I've encouraged you to read. Jesus says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. I mean, just pick up just two words from that. Permanent gift from God to you. Permanent gift from God to you. I mean, can you imagine that? I I don't want to give anyone this because it's my Bible, but I'm just trying to make an example, you know. I might say, here, here's a present to you. Nikki takes it. I don't come along and say, oh, that's mine. Give it back. No, I gave it to you. You know, if, if Christmas or your birthday happens, you know, somebody wraps up on a present and they give it to you. It's yours to keep. It's a gift. You've not earned it. You've not gone to work for it. It's a present. It's a gift. And you don't come around the house and say, oh, where's that present? I want my present back. No, no, I gave it to you. It's yours. It's yours forever. Jesus says to the disciples, I'm going to go to the Father and ask for a gift for you. Yours forever he says in the very next verse i know that he didn't speak in verses but we have them because it makes it easier to find it john 14 verse 17 the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you so the whole picture that i've just described of this is wrong Because that's a gift that you keep on the outside. And what Jesus says is, the Holy Spirit will be inside of you. You're saying, Pete, God lives inside of me? I can't believe it. It's too good. If it wasn't in the book, I wouldn't believe it myself. I mean, surely God's up there to be worshipped and adored. The God who makes the mountains and the sea and, and the sun and the stars. and The one who sustains the planet. Wow. And you're suddenly saying, by his Holy Spirit, he lives in me? All my superheroes from the past got it wrong. 
Ant-Man was only successful when he put the suit on him. Popeye ran out of spinach. But I've got the Holy Spirit living inside of me. I mean, that's phenomenal, isn't it? The best storyteller cannot compete with what's really happened. In fact, he goes on to say, you can read it all, John 14, 15, 16. If you don't want to watch Arsenal beat Chelsea this afternoon, that's something for you to do. It says in John 16, verse 7, Very truly I tell you, it is for your good, this is Jesus to his disciples, that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come, name for the Spirit. But if I go, I will send him to you. I don't know about you. I mean, I love being alive today. But I've always had that thought. If I could have lived at any other time in history, any other time, when would it have been? I'd have loved to have been around Jesus. Wouldn't you? I'd have loved to have been there when, you know, the wedding and the wine runs out. And Jesus is here, some of the very best. I'd love to have been, you know, and Jesus goes and visits someone who's dead. Dead four days. And he just raises him from the dead. I thought, wow, imagine being there. I'd imagine it when Jesus fed 20,000. 20,000, it was five. But it's 5,000 men. There was women and children as well. I reckon it was 20,000. Imagine being there that day. I mean, as far as the eye could see. I went to this amphitheater in Pula. It could seat 20,000. And you looked at it and thought, wow, Jesus had every chair full. <laughs> And said, right, here's food for you all. No wonder he had to get the disciples handing it out. He couldn't do it. Imagine it. Someone's got leprosy, completely cured. Imagine it. Someone's lame and they walk. Someone's laid beside this pool, believing some angel might get the waters going. I could possibly. Jesus makes them walk. I mean, just imagine that. And then what does Jesus say? It's better that I go. What? But, but, but Lord, what you've done is incredible. You walked on water. I mean, I've, I've thought about that for ages. I mean, was it sort of careful like this? Was it just sauntering along? You know what I'm saying? I haven't got a clue. But it was, it was incredible. He was the one that when the storm was going and water was coming in the boat, he was fast asleep. The disciples wake him up and say, we're going to drown. He gets up and just says, be still. And what does he say to the disciples? It's better that I go. How can it be better that you go? Because if I don't go, he won't come. That's how Jesus felt about the Holy Spirit. A.W. Tozer, an American pastor and author, he died about 50 years ago now, said the Spirit-filled life is not a special deluxe edition of Christianity. It is part and parcel of the total plan of God for his people. Jesus wasn't saying, I'm going to go just so that a few of you can have this. He said, I'm going to go, all of you can have this. So what does the Holy Spirit do? I've only got a jam jar to show you. We've got a lifetime to explore, but I'm hoping that I'm hoping you think, golly, Pete, this series sounds so good. I'm cancelling my holiday. Your tan will fade. I'm not going to bother going to get one. I'm going to stay here every week. I've got to find out more. Why not? 
Wayne Grudem, he's a U.S. seminary professor, says the work of the Spirit is to manifest the active presence of God in the world, and especially the church. Wow, the active manifest presence of God. I mean, we could go through word after word and think, whoa, what could that do? If I had to describe it, and I'm just going to go for one word. Just one word. I know I've taken my time. I've got to be careful because we are going to stop. We're going to worship. We're going to pray. If I say one word that I feel the Holy Spirit will bring, intimacy. Intimacy. Think about that. Intimacy with God Almighty. That's what the Holy Spirit wants to bring. It says in Romans, this is Paul writing a letter in the New Testament, second half of the Bible, if you've never read it. For those, Romans chapter 8, verse 14. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The spirit, received, the spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. Sam was reading that passage earlier, wasn't it? About father, father, son, adopted. By him, this is the Holy Spirit, we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. If you only had that verse today, I mean, if you really grasped that verse, that would blow our brains apart, wouldn't it? You think, whoa! You mean, he lives in me, and by him, I cry, Abba, Father. I'm sure I'll tell my story a little bit more. I'm uh, preaching next week. I know I'm not doing all of them. I grew up in a church, to be honest, which I guess we, we feared God. We read the Bible lots. We often felt we'd try and please God by what we did. Uh, I, my name's Peter. There you go. If my mother was here, she called me Peter. Everyone calls me Pete. My middle name is John. You see, as good Christians, we were named after disciples because that's what you did. I used to wear Sunday best every Sunday to church. Some of you are thinking, what's a Sunday best? It's one shirt that I guess looks smart when you first brought it, but now it's a little bit small, and I used to have to wear it every single Sunday. I had to wear shoes to church on a Sunday. I couldn't watch television on a Sunday. I couldn't listen to non-Christian music on a Sunday because I thought that if I behaved or did things, God might be pleased with me. But actually, this verse has just said, I'm his son because of the Holy Spirit. Some of us are still living like slaves to God. Some of us, if you're really honest, you felt guilty and put something in the offering. I was going to say, you can have it back. You can't. We've got it. Just deal with the guilt. No, sorry. That's, uh, we need to get that recorded and removed off the tape. <laughs> but in all seriousness, we don't earn our acceptance to God. Because we have the Holy Spirit, we know that we're sons. We know that we're daughters. We know that he's our father. Again, Sam brought that illustration, didn't he? He'd not read his Bible. 
for a week. The devil might whisper to him on a Sunday, oh, you're not very good really, are you? You've not read it all week. But the Spirit says, you're a son. We were very fortunate. I think, was it last September? We had a guy come and visit called Julian Adams. Uh, over the summer, I, I take the opportunity to read a bit more. I've just read his latest book called The Kiss of the Father. He's, uh, he's back in South Africa now. He's an author and prophet, Julian Adams. is. He says this, the Holy Spirit comes to remind believers who we are, not who we were. You see, he comes to remind you, you are a forgiven son or daughter. If you are a Christian, that means you've said sorry to Jesus for what you've done wrong. He's taken your shame, your guilt away. Then this is what the Holy Spirit does for you. If not, you can say sorry and, you, and know this. The Holy Spirit brings intimacy. This is why we, we describe the church like a family. I think there's something of intimacy. I think there's something of, of getting to know one another, a family likeness. We're going to be talking about this. I'm not going to talk about it this morning. I would just want to say there's intimacy. Skip, skip a slide, Isaac. Julian Adams, I give him another quote, says this, The secret of Christ-like life is to recognize all we do, we do by the Spirit and not out of our own resources. It's phenomenal, isn't it? If we come and enjoy the Spirit, it could change everything. I, I, I haven't got this one up here, but it's Julian Adams again. I've, I felt like I, I need to give him credit. Half the, half the sermons come from him. Kingdom living means that our relationship with the Holy Spirit directs everything we do on earth. He is the power for the transformation of the world. He is the key to experiencing some future kingdom reality now. This is the jam jar that I want to hold up to you this morning. My thing is this. God has called each and every one of you to be heroes. And this is how. In concluding, I'm just going to quote three people. I know um, after this, I'm sure the band will come on. The first one is Benny Hinn. Some of you may have heard of him. He's an international TV evangelist. He says, what I want you to know is this. Beyond salvation, beyond being baptized in water, beyond the infilling of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity is waiting for you to meet him personally. He yearns for a lifelong relationship. And that is what you're about to discover. I would love that to be the sort of cry almost as we start this series. What are you saying? I'm saying actually the Holy Spirit is for us all. And he brings intimacy. Oh, isn't that incredible? We've also been very privileged to have a guy come and preach at this church called Terry Virgo. He's the founder of the family that we're a part of called New Frontiers. He describes in his book about the Holy Spirit and the impact it had on his life. He said, as I realized, relax, sorry, it was as if a flood of the Holy Spirit went right through me. I found myself not only speaking in tongues, we'll talk a little bit more about this throughout the weeks, just bear with us, but also calling out to God in the most loving and intimate terms that I could not imagine 
God was right in my heart. His love was absolutely overflowing in me. I truly loved him as never before. That is what I want to hold up for you guys. I don't want you to think, what's this holy who? I think I want you to know God and love him like you couldn't imagine. Catherine Coleman, she was an American faith healer and evangelist, says this, God is not looking for golden vessels. He's not looking for silver vessels. God is looking for yielded vessels. What I want to say then this morning is, do you want to be intimate with God? Because I think this, this whole thing that we're going to be looking at is all about intimacy. As I said, I've read so much, and I, I think, oh, how much do I cram in this morning? I, I know that I've got to stop. Simon Ponsbury, I'll quote him another time. He's a, a, a rector up in Oxford, says, With God, learning without loving is not learning. Love without learning is not love. We don't just come to learn, we come to love. I don't just want this to be five weeks where we learn about the Holy Spirit. I want us to love him. I think the two go hand in hand. I think actually what this whole thing, which is why every week I'm telling you, we're going to do a slightly shorter time of worship for this series. We're going to preach and then we're going to come and respond and say, God, what will you do? I don't know. I don't need to know. Relationships are like that. When you're intimate, you don't have to plan every moment. You just think, oh, it could be silence. Who knows what God will do? But what I want you to know is the Holy Spirit comes so that you could be intimate with God. Let's respond to him, shall we?